Oh, okay. Somebody was looking at their watch, and uh, I said, I know what you're thinking. He's got 45 minutes to preach. <laughs> no, that's not what she was thinking. She says, I've got to check the hams in a few minutes. And then I'll your Bible's open. Your Bible's open to uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We were here last week. I want to return to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. I want you to know that, I don't know if I mentioned this this time around when we've talked about stewardship, and this might shock many of us as we really think about it, but Jesus said more about money and possessions than absolutely any other topic in the New Testament. Let me say it again. Jesus talked about money or stewardship more than any other subject in the New Testament. And one reason why is the very word stewardship. Because we are stewards of everything that's been bestowed upon us by the hand of an almighty sovereign God. We are living stewards of everything. I was talking to the deacons and yoke fellows this morning early and we had a, a little meeting. And next year, in um, January, we're going to do a thing on spiritual gifts on Wednesday nights. Doing study on, by the way, on Sunday mornings, see if some of you can remember. Starting in January, on Sunday mornings, do you remember what books I'm going to be in? I'm going to preach through what? There's three books. They're all called the Pastoral Epistles. So what books are they? First and Second Timothy, and what's the other T? So all next year, we'll be preaching through First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, verse by verse through those three books. They're called the Pastoral Epistles. But on Wednesday nights, now we won't start the first Wednesday of the year, I think it's January the 3rd or 4th, but the next Wednesday and the, all the Wednesdays of January and February, we will do spiritual gifts. And uh, the youth are going to join us. I, I'm assuming they will, maybe. Okay, like I said, they may or may not. They're going to do whatever Robbie wants to do. And uh, let's move on. But anyway, so we're going to study spiritual gifts. We have this survey. And here's my whole point of kind of telling you about this. As you know, we've talked about this gift. We use the word charisma. I, I talked about this last week. Key word in the, in the New Testament. Charisma, which we get the word charismatic as a slang term from it. P people that misapply what the New Testament says about gifts. But gift is the word grace. It has the word grace attached to the word charisma. Charis is the word grace. They're grace gifts. But, but everybody who's ever been saved born again by the Spirit of God, has at least one spiritual gift. So, let's just set aside material possessions and money and all that. You're a steward. You're responsible for the gift that God in His sovereign grace gave you when you got saved. It's His kingdom gift to you. And, here's the other thing. That gift is most often used not when you're at the Walmart, not when you're at the ball field. Now that's where you might display the fruits of the Spirit, right? Some of you don't display that at the ball field. <laughs> By the way, I'm glad I didn't watch the Auburn game yesterday. I would not have been in a good spirit myself. So, <clears throat> so you have the fruit of the Spirit, but the gifts of the Spirit, you have a responsibility that God has handed you this kingdom gift. And let me tell you, if you don't think about, well, hold your finger. Hold your fingers at, at uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Go, go to the book of Hebrews, okay? Here's something you don't really think about. You know it's true. You know this is true in fact. But when you read it, 
it, it's just profound as to our responsibility to the Lord Jesus. I'm in Hebrews 1. And I do want to be sensitive of time. I need to be sensitive of time for myself because I do have things dying and I need to do before we can make it down there at 1230. And, uh, <clears throat> but I want to read Hebrews uh, 1 and kind of set the scene for this stewardship issue. Um, verse 1, Hebrews 1, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's Old Testament. Several different ways. And sometimes even God spoke through animals. And uh, as a joke, I could say a preacher joke, but i got to move on. I can't say it. But in these last days, because we're living in the last days, our eschatology, end of days. So the last 2,000 years, it's been 2,000 years, but it's been the last days. But in the last, these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Folks, we don't have visions, right? There's not, God doesn't appear in the heavens like He did to some of the prophets. He doesn't tap them on the shoulder. He doesn't wrestle with them. He doesn't do that to speak to Peter. They did that in the Old Testament. Now He speaks to us through His Son. And it's that Son gave us the apostles. He, we just read it in Acts 1 in our Sunday school class. He spoke to His apostles. They wrote it down. It's called the New Testament. That's, and that's the words of Jesus. So now that's what, it builds the, that's what we believe in is what's been written. Now we keep reading. He has spoken to us by His Son whom... He appointed whom God the Father appointed. Now what does it say? Heir of all things. Can I ask them? Who owns it all? We said you didn't get it. Who owns it all? That's right. He does. And He's given it to Christ. So he, Christ is the heir of all things. Now, if you're thinking biblically, we know that when Jesus... After 40 days, he appeared alive here and there, 9, 10, 11, how many times he appeared. Then he ascended. Book of Acts tells us he was caught up. By the word rapture, caught up. He was caught up, okay? Um, then, 10 days later, an event happens called Pentecost, right? 50 days after Passover is a feast called Penta, 50, 50 Pentecost. At Pentecost... The Holy Spirit comes down, right? And all those men are filled with the Spirit. God displays His gifts. And in the book of Ephesians, it kind of summarizes this. I'm going to paraphrase. He who ascended, what did He do when He ascended? Gave gifts. It says, literally, He gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. And just as the Romans would do, you know, they would take the spoils of war, distribute it among the citizens. Christ has been the conqueror, owns it all, inherited it all, goes to heaven, and then He gives gifts to men. But these aren't physical gifts. These are spiritual gifts. Infused and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that's why spiritual gifts, learning, you might not, can't even put a name to some of them. You may be able to name what your gift is. But whatever gifts we have, we're to use them for the building up. It says for the, for the oikodomeo house builder, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's how we're supposed to. So 
When we think of stewardship, go back to 2 Corinthians, it's more than just money. It's really all, all of life. I was, uh, I was reading this week about, you know, dollar generals are everywhere. I don't, you know, about 10 or 12 years ago, uh, I don't know if you know the story. I read a little bit about it. You know, they, they were struggling in the market in their world of whatever Dollar General does. And uh, they decided, hey, we just need to expand. You know, so they built Dollar Generals everywhere, right? There's $19,500. And that's what, that's what I read. Okay, may or may not be true, but it's close. There, I'm, I have a point about this. I'm not promoting Dollar I don't have investments in Dollar General, okay? I... But so it's $19,500 generals, and I'm glad they're there. We were just talking about we may have to run to Dollar General and get some supplies. Or better yet, Robbie may have to run to Dollar General and get some supplies. But anyway, so, but there's 19, five, okay, McDonald's has thir over 13,000 restaurants. Now, I just want you to, in your mind, $19,000 generals in America, 19, over 13,000 McDonald's. You got those figures? There's over 50 thousand storage facilities in America over 50,000 storage facilities well it's 51,000 something now think about that you may tell you why people and there's the one of the biggest ones I've ever seen is at the end of a Redland Road have you seen that's a monster down there why are we building one of the best wise supposedly is return on your money is to build rooms so people can come put their junk in it and pay you for it to stay in there and stay dry and warm or well, not warm dry why is that just why is that because we're collecting stuff stuff now I'm gonna confess our sins to you I just told the deacons this and they agree I'm so I'm telling something they don't know We've done that in God's house. Zach, am I right? I'm right. You walk through this building, our buildings, we have rooms you can't get into because of junk. Junk. And some of that, listen, we have a school that three days a week, there's 65 kids just, and so I know we're going to have stuff. I realize that. And it got, there's life over there that you may not know about. And so there's a lot of stuff to be in the building. But, but when you have four or five rooms that used to be Sunday school classrooms or have been used for special studies, but you can't get in them because there's raggedy old couches or there's a leftover stove. Or, and so I'm not... It's stuff. I just want to say... It, it, and again, some of that's you just use your stove. It's not that it's worldly, but there's stuff. We need to honor God by cleaning. But let's go back to the storage. But you understand what I'm saying. But the storage buildings are a big deal because people have more stuff than they need. And what's the Bible say about that? Now, again, some of it's necessary. I've had family members. Well, I, this happened to us. I'm, I'm going to be brief. My, my aunt, my mother and my aunt both lived with me. They, they both were invalids. This was years ago, 2002, 2003. They lived with four or five years. Well, when they moved in with me, I had to do something with their stuff, right? I junk, some of it, stuff. Well, I couldn't fit it all in my house, so what do you do? Now, this is legit. You rent a storage building, right, down the street from my house. 
And then I end up paying more for the storage building in 18 months than all the furniture was worth to begin with. That, you know. So, some of that's legitimate. But I'm saying, we're living in a world that loves stuff. There's even uh, there's these articles you can read about retail therapy. That if you're, if you're sad and depressed, or you're upset about something, the diagnosis or the medicine is, is not prayer, not scripture reading. It's retail therapy. They're saying go buy something. It'll make you feel better. And you're a liar if you say you never do that. Okay? Because I know the sin nature because I got one. So it's called retail therapy. Uh, or one little article I read said we medicate by shopping online. You know, I think some of those things are a curse as much as they are, they are a blessing. I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I think in your, in your uh, bulletin today, I put the title of a sermon. Uh, yep, it's church equity. Okay, so I want to look at that verse. Now, you're familiar with this. Um, you know that, I mean, I'm, we're trying to be good, I just want you to say it, you and I are trying to be biblical stewards, whether it's of our spiritual gifts or our possessions. And many of us in this room will handle much more than a million dollars in our working lives. Some of you will handle three or four or five, five million dollars in, in your lifetime, and so you, you're a, be a steward of that. But we're trying to be stewards of our spiritual disciplines and of our material possessions in the world that has lost its way from, from a material possession. And Jesus says in you know, Matthew 6, right after teaching us how to pray, by the way, some of this would be dealt with if we really pray that every day. And it says, give us this day our daily bread. And that may not be a big deal to you and me because we're 2,000 years removed. But when Jesus taught the disciples that, that very day, they weren't carrying with them five sack lunches for the rest of the week or knew they could go to the McDonald's on the corner. Every day food was an issue. But what they, he wanted them to know is that providing provisions is his responsibility as our Heavenly Father. So he says, when you pray, and then you think about the, the, the daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Then you go all the way back to the Old Testament. And just think. This, we'll go back and think what happened in the book of Exodus when God directed them about the manna. You remember the law? He Collect what you need. You take your omer, whatever an omer was, fill that omer up, and get enough. If you have a family, you get enough, everybody gets an omer, you get enough of that. But what, what's the rule? What's the rule? Take only what you will eat in a day, right? And then what happens, or what did happen, when they collected, they hoarded. That's right. It, this, I love it. it the, when you read in the Old Testament, it says it bred worms, and it says it stank. I love that. It stank. It, it, it was putrid. Well, so, I, I wonder... And again, I, I can't tell you all the truth about this. I, I don't know it. But so I have to say I wonder. I can't give you a, a verse that's going to describe this. But I wonder when our Lord Jesus looks upon our lives and we have all these things 
that we will not use and we need that just sits in a closet, sits in a drawer. I wonder as he views our stewardship if it stinks to him. And um, if it does, then I need to correct that in my life. You need to correct that in your life. But we certainly need to correct it in the local church life. The sermon title says, you know, church equity, being equitable. Now, the, if you look at your Bibles, I'm going to give you the verse um, for the sake of time. I, I just want to paraphrase some things. But I, I'm in chapter 8. And I want you to notice the verse appears. If you don't mind, I'm going to put it a little bit in context. Uh, look at verse... Um, well, I'll just pick up at verse 8. I say this not as a command. Of course, you know it's about the collection. Uh, gosh, there's so many things that are rich here. Okay, so I'm in, I'm in 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 8. I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians 8, beginning at verse 8. So it's about the collection. He's making the comparison. They're in, they're in the area of Achaia, southern part of Greece. He's making a comparison to the northern part of Greece, to the churches of Macedonia, right? Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And so they've been collecting for the church in, in Jerusalem. And the church at Corinth had promised to start the same collection. Okay, to, to support the ministry in, in Jerusalem. A lot of poverty, a lot of starving. Christians were being persecuted. And were, you know, it just was horrible. And so Paul's collecting for those that are going without. And, and you know, we talked about that last week. And they made, well, go back to 1 Corinthians. I just want to show you something. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to have to look at chapters. I'm pretty sure this whole thing... So 18 months before now, before 2 Corinthians, they got 2 Corinthians. Uh, well, it wasn't quite 18 months. But Paul visited or wrote 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see what he says in chapter 16. Um, so I just want you to see how God works when you give. When you give, like today, when, when I think about when our, our worship service, we, we always talk about, and I talked about this last week, but... We have, you know, we worship through singing. It's about the audience of one. It's about Christ. It's about the Lord Jesus. It's about God the Father. It's not about you. It's about Him. So we worship in song. Then we worship through giving. It's an act of worship. And so I love that in our order of worship. And then we worship through God. But so when the collection was brought up and they started talking about it, it's verse 1 and 2, 16, 1 and 2. It says, now concerning the collection for the saints. Same group, you know. So 2 Corinthians were passed a year later. So they waited, and so Paul's having to encourage them. But right here he says, now concerning the collection for the saints. As I directed the churches of Galatia, that's Asia, part of Asia, so you also are to do. And where does it, it says, on, are you looking at your Bibles? On the first day of the week, right? That's today. That's the Lord's day. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may have prospered so that there will be no 
collecting when I come. So he's going to come. He's going to visit Corinth again, but you need to be doing it now on the Lord's Day. I just love that. Back to chapter 8. So he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. By the way, that's one affirmation of why you, everything's equitable. The same power of Christ that saved me and washed me from my sins and set me free is the same grace of God that did it for you. Paul even says that. He says that all believers, he says, I'm an example of what God does, not, not being a missionary, but in salvation. He said, I'm a, I'm a standard. What God has done for me, He does for everybody that is set free in salvation. A great statement. So, for you know... I pray you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean... Here, here's where equitable comes in. It's just a good lesson to learn in church life. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So he's not saying God's plan is not for me to bring you to poverty and then take this to, to Jerusalem and those people live high on the hog for 18 months and you go without. That, that's, not, that's not God's plan. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, there's the word we use as equitable, your abundance at the present time, okay, so obviously, and this happens all throughout church life all the time, okay? This is, and I don't see it in a ledger book, but it happens all the time. It happened today. So in God's plan, He'll bless somebody or other several people, and then all of a sudden they'll have more resources than they've had in months. And as a believer, you, in your heart on the Lord's Day, what will you do? You will give graciously. And so you're able to give much more than you normally would. And Maybe at the same time you're doing that, somebody on a fixed income, a widower or a widow on a fixed income had a massive bill and they can barely buy food so they're not giving their $100. And, and your, your gain makes up for their lack. That happens millions of times in God's economy. He just does that. But he, you, you, so for the Corinth, at the time in history when he wrote this, they had wealth, plenty of it. And they usually would always have that because it was a port city. But the point would be, he says, 
He's trying to talk about the equity. It's about not making you poor and them rich. He says, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. That there will be fairness. There will be fairness. That, it, it is our, our, we get our word equitable from that word. I, I tell you, a good illustration is... Uh, well, it was used in, this word was used in, uh, um, uh, the, it's, there was games played every two years at Corinth called the Ithmian, it's the Ithmus. And so they had games every two years. And so there are rule books for each, you know, for every sport, every field of competition, there's rules. And those rules, it says, are fair. It's equitable. So everybody competes according to the same rule. Well, God is equitable, but that's God's eternal plan. I can't see it. I just watch it happen. It happens all the time. Somebody has, somebody has a need. It's, you read the first part of the book of Acts when the church was born. Do you, you remember when people sold things? They did it because there was a need at the church. You know, thousands of people were getting saved and there's no provisions. They lose their jobs or they stayed in... Jerusalem, because they came for the feast and got born again. And where, what you want to do when you're saved, you want to listen to what the apostles have to say so you don't go back home, so you don't have a job. And so while you're trying to find part-time work, somebody sells their land and takes the money. Now, of course, this was faked by Ananias and Sapphira. What do they do with the money? It says, and they brought it here, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, now you bring it to the storehouse, right? You... Because you want God's work done. So it's, it's equitable. It's fair play. It's, it's uh, uh, isosceles. Isosceles triangle. Uh, now again, I had to look that one up. You know, <laughs> I don't want you to think I'm walking around knowing exactly what an isosceles triangle, but it's where they're even on two sides, right? Well, math guy over here, he knows that. So even fairness. But this is what God does. He, so... For those, so you give, he tells you that you give out of what you have, not out of what you don't have, and you don't give based on your hopes in the future, right? Oh, one day, one day I'm going to make up with God all the things I failed to do when I was young. Now, now there are, is logic to some of that, but here's the point. It's like thinking you can sow seeds for the last five years of your life and produce fruit that was dormant for 30 years in the past. You, that doesn't happen. We sow and we reap. You with me? <laughs> you sow and then you reap pretty soon thereafter. You don't do it 30 years. So, so that's what some people try to do. I mean, and I understand some of it we can do better the older we get sometimes. But Paul's talking about in the body that there's, there's, there's this equity. But folks, we do this in a world like, uh, I was reading where uh, America, okay. Our country has a little over 4% of the world's population. Yeah. We, uh, we consume 25% of the world's oil. 25, 4% of the, 4.2 of the world's population we consume 25% of the oil. Uh, power, based on BTUs. I do know what that is. British thermal units. So, 
we use almost 20% of the world's power absorption use. And we're 4%. We are, we are we, 30% of produced goods we use with 4%. So we are a consuming people. So in the midst of all this worldly consumption, God has called us to be stewards, yes, of our spiritual gifts, but also He's called us to be stewards of His gifts. And He uses this word, equitable. It needs to be fair. That... One group of people, you know, if you talk to preachers, they'll talk about this a lot. And I've talked to a preacher the other day, and we talked about this very thing, that percentage-wise, senior adults give a larger portion of their monies to the church and more often than young adults do. And so whatever, why and however that happens in the Bible, the Bible calls for in the body there to be there to be fairness. Let me, let me read a couple of the verses to you. I, I have a few minutes. Look at chapter... Look at chapter... Uh, look, well, let me pick up at verse... Uh, I wrote the small print Bible. Look at verse 16. It says, But thanks be to God, who put in the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Because Titus is the one that brought this letter. For he not only accepted... Chapter 8, verse... Uh, 16, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. Now, look, I was talking to the men this morning about this. Paul was, because even in chapters, in 1 Corinthians, he had talked about making sure he would accompany the, the offering. Okay? And folks, this was a, had to be a large sum of money. Okay? Now, you've got to think, we're collecting money 800 miles from Jerusalem, okay? Um, it's just not like, so this is going to be a massive trip when they get ready to take the money. So Paul makes sure that there are godly men watching over the money. Well, do you know the New Testament says that's the way church government, part of church, part of the men who are elders and deacons in a church? Through the book of Acts, they... It's not like they have to handle the money and tell you what to do with the money, but there's an oversight. Men, godly men, are supposed to make sure that the money is being handled rightly. Well, let's move on. So he says, with him... Look what the text says. And, and let me ask you, he doesn't mention these two guys' names. I've always wondered about that. He doesn't tell us who they are. He assumes they know who they are. But look, look how he, he says it. He says, with him, with Titus, with him we, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches. See, you know, whether it's money or calling a preacher, what, it, what kind of decision is it? It's a church decision. So he says, he has been appointed by, and by the way, that word appoint, the root word is the word lay hands on, right? So there's a, probably at some point in, in God's New Testament church to have an assignment to be over this ministry of handling money and collecting is this man was ordained, okay? So he was appointed. 
um, appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. Because what if, if Paul, if Paul, let's just say two people carried it. They traverse hundreds of miles in boats, walking with donkeys. Let's just say two of them traverse and they take these thousands and thousands of dollars. What could possibly happen? Wonder if somebody made an accusation that these two best friends pilfered the money. You see? So, so there had to be more than two. Say? So, so Paul's making sure that there's oversight. Uh, that's not the message particularly today, but that does apply. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this general gift, this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable. Now look what he says. Not only in the Lord's sight, now that's a quote from Proverbs, but also in the sight of man. So, now folks, not just with money. This is with anything. Uh, the phrasing in the New Testament, we need to be above reproach. And it does matter how lost people view us. It, we need to bear witness to the reality of a new life, even to lost people. We need to be above reproach. So Paul said whether it's inside the church or what people see, we don't want there to be an accusation that could actually stick, which is the word used when Paul talks about this in the pastoral epistles. We may be accused as ministers or deacons, but it, it, it better not stick. That's what Paul's argument is. Oh, it may happen, but it better not stick. There may not be no validity to it. But also in the sight of man. And with them, so he's mentioned this other guy, and with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of the great confidence in you. So I, I, I just love, even though it sounds like just mundane stuff, but it tells you how serious, number one, God's money was, handling God's money but also wanting to present something above reproach to what people might say. So Paul mentions these two people, but he doesn't mention them by name. And he says, as for Titus, he is my partner. He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. He is, and here's the word he used, he's my koinonia, fellowship. He's my intimate friend. And he's my, he's my soon energy. He's my synergy. He works with me. Folks, and this is true for every believer that's ever been saved. Uh, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians, we are workers together with God. We are workers together with God. All of us have a responsibility in the body. Let, let me finish this little passage, then we'll close. 
says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for your brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Let me read that again. Looking at your Bibles, okay? And as for our brothers, they are messengers. Of course, in Southern Baptist life, that's what they call us when we go to the state convention, state Alabama Baptist State Convention, or if we go to the national convention, we call, we, we have what messengers, you know, our credentials, we're called messengers from the churches. And we have to present certain credentials. You know, the church has to send stuff and say, yeah, Robbie's a minister there and Bryce is. A, so we can go and, and vote. But we're called messengers. But look what, and obviously they get it from this passage. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches. And, and then Paul he says, the glory of Christ. The glory of Christ is the church. So give proof before the churches. So give proof. Now he's talking to the Corinthians again. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to, the, to these men. Let me finish by reading. I, I've got just a minute. I'm in chapter 9. So jump over to chapter 9. Pick up at verse 10. Folks, there's just so much here that we could talk about. I, I, when I read this, I think about when, you know, we talked a little bit, I think I introduced the sermon last week by talking about King Solomon. It might have been the week before that, but I talked about King Solomon and all the riches that he had, all the gold he would import. And Robbie read part of it where it says that sil there was so much gold while Solomon was king. It says twice, it says, gold was as, I mean, silver was as stones in Jerusalem. There's stones everywhere in Israel. He said, they're worthless. They're like a rock. So silver was like a rock because there was so much wealth when Solomon was, was king. So look what God, in God's plan, what he does. This is God, folks, this is what God does. I think I mentioned last week I used cotton as an example. That 10 pounds of cotton seed, I didn't bring it with me, but can produce tons of cotton. And in addition to providing tons of cotton, it provides hundreds of pounds of more cotton seed. Isn't that amazing? 10 pounds of cotton seed can produce, let's just say, 5,000 pounds of cotton and then 500 pounds of cotton seed. That's, but that's the physical world. Now we're talking about the spiritual world. He who supplies, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase, look what it says we're going to increase. Is he going to increase your wealth? Is he going to make you rich and famous like they tell you on these, these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers? If you send them your seed gift, if they sell you some anointing oil and you send and anoint your billfold, it'll start just pushing out money out of the billfold because it's a miracle. People believe that, right? Is that God's will for you? Is God's will, is He promised that you're going to be rich by giving? No. Now, spiritually, you're going to be very wealthy. Spiritually. So He says, 
He supplies bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Folks, yes, part of our maturation as believers is learning to give, to sacrificially give to the kingdom. Says you will be you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Because they'll tell you know, we'll be able to tell people. For the ministry of this service. Now we're gonna stop here. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. So people are, you know, the Israelites that are starving to death, knowing that this help is coming to their praise. So besides the, the monetary blessings, the spiritual stuff is, is incredible. But the phrase we want to close with is the first portion of verse 12. Now get... Now, we're talking about this offering. It's, you're just talking about collecting money from some you know, middle-class believers in southern Greece. That's what this letter, that's what these two chapters are about. Now, but look what Paul says about this event. If we, you know, whether we're talking about collecting money to build something, clean something, you know, one day we're going to talk about remodeling the kitchen. And so when we talk about that, it's more than just just cabinets and in dishwashers and stoves, it's much more than that. This is about the glory of Christ and His church. So, so Paul says, for the ministry of this service. Now I love that. For this ministry of service. Now again, I, I'm going to tell you what it says, but it's kind of odd how it's translated. But when he says... This ministry, it is the word service. So the first word, for this service. So literally it says, for the service of this worship. The word, the word in translated service. Are you looking at your Bibles? Is our English word liturgy. And it comes from the Old Testament when God set a standard for how worship was to go, the steps of worship to approach Him. It was started there in the New Testament, the word liturgy. It's, it's the, the stages of worship. So our stewardship, even monetary stewardship, right? Even a special offering for a mission effort, which we'll do one day. because So even a, as a church, a special offering for missions. What should it be among us? It should be an act of worship. Because it's about Christ and not about us. Am I right? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Folks, if you're a... I said this in a little email we sent out. If you're a, if you're a picnic guru, and you know all about doing this, and you know we're going to forget something, or there's something you can bring to enhance our fellowship... Please bring it. Uh, you have time to go home and change. Uh, get your whatever you made, mashed potatoes, potato salad, I don't care. Get it, meet us down there when you can, and we're going to have a, a high time, right? God's good. Let's pray.
Ringing in my ear, Lord, is what Paul said the first time when he wrote to these believers. In that 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. And he said, I want you to look at me. Paul said to the church, I want you to know me as just a pathetic under rower. The lowest person on the rung. Consider me just a lowly servant. And then he says, but all of us are to be servants and stewards. And it's required of stewards that a man be faithful. So God, I pray that as we continue to think about kingdom stewardship, that we will want to be faithful stewards for the glory of Christ. Lord, bless our fellowship this afternoon. For others who can't come, I pray that you'll bless their afternoon, bless the holiday season. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.